Dear Representative Lloyd Smucker, as the host of What We Will Abide, a Lancaster-based podcast that serves to tell stories about people who are providing local solutions to systemic problems, I invite you to be a guest on my show. You want to solve local problems. That's why you ran for Congress. On my show, I talk to people who perform some kind of civic duty. Often these people are deeply invested in their work, as I imagine you are. You would likely agree that we live in a period of acute divisiveness in America, and that there are harmful rifts across economic, social, and political lines all across our country. Making an effort to heal these wounds in order to fulfill the president's principal campaign promise to make America great again is what you strive to do every day. I therefore invite you to take part in an interview for What We Will Abide so you can talk openly about your platform, policy initiatives, and to further detail your plans to serve Lancaster's interests on Capitol Hill. I know that a wide range of your constituents from the 16th Congressional District in Pennsylvania would love to hear from you directly on matters of this kind. I know that your constituents, whether they voted for you or not, want to hear from you on a number of different accounts. Some of them are concerned about initiatives, executive orders, and policy declarations on a national level. Others are more concerned about matters that are more locally pressing. You are our representative in Washington, D.C. You are our conduit for information about the way our country is being governed and the way our interests in this small but vibrant city and surrounding counties' interests are being addressed. Or not. You are our voice, so we want to hear from you. I also think it's important to address the topic of communication in general. Americans get their news from myriad sources, but how can we trust that we're being told the complete truth? It's fair to say that over the past year or more, it has become more and more difficult to tell trustworthy journalism from partisan propaganda, to sort truth from lies. Whatever its intended purpose from incident to incident, fake news has wrecked havoc with the traditional American expectation of honesty and integrity, or at least our aspiration to those essential qualities. In light of all of this, here are the kinds of questions I'd like to ask you. What led you to become a civil servant? A position many see as laden with Byzantine bureaucracy and clogged up with immovable egos. What prepared you for this pathway within your career? What does democracy mean to you? How do you plan to protect and perpetuate it? How do you personally seek the truth? What are your sources of sobering yet necessary reality? And how do you reconcile a constituency, and for that matter a country, that has vastly different points of view on matters of national security, social responsibility, economics, and foreign intervention? I'd also be interested in learning who your political mentors and models are, and if there are others who serve as exemplars for you, philosophically and morally. As a historian and an educator, what's most important to me is discovering how we got to the place we're in. I imagine you can't be a willing servant for this storied part of Pennsylvania without being a disciple of history, so my guess is you're an admirer and a student of history too. I'd love to give you the chance to unveil your thoughts on how we got to where we are. That is, 
in your mind, what are the roots of our current standing in the world? What are some choices that we've made as a nation, as a government, as a people, that serve as the foundation for our successes, failures, and the challenges we face in 2017 and beyond? The 100-day mark of the new administration is fast approaching. Would you say that the Republican Party you represent and that currently possesses an iron grip on all three branches of government is laying proper claim to this mantle of power? Do you generally support the tenor of legislation that has so far emerged from the 115th Congress on the budget, immigration, health care, privacy, and the environment? How would you describe the voice of the current government, and do you feel as a whole it is doing its best to serve the needs of Americans? I suppose what it comes down to is this. It's times like these that we need our local government officials most. The electorate voted you in, which means the majority of us trust you to govern with integrity. Part of that is communicating with the people. But since what we will abide is also interested in philosophy and does not shy away from cultural critique, let's back up for a moment and ruminate upon the following question. What is government for? I cannot say that I'm a scholar of political history, but I've read some of Plato's Republic, Skim Mencius, Aurelius, and Aquinas. I'm familiar with Machiavelli and your standard European Enlightenment figures like Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau. I've tangoed with critics like Marx, Foucault, and Trotsky, and absorbed a fair amount of Chomsky and Zinn. Here's what I've gleaned. For several millennia now, people have had government foisted upon them. It was there. They adhered to it, though they did not choose it. Over time, government has changed from a structure implemented in order to serve the few at the expense of the many. Babylonia under Hammurabi, the Roman Empire under its strongest emperors, medieval European kings. These governments were meant to enable, enrich, and empower a very small group of people by exploiting, and often suppressing, a much larger group of people. Democracy, though over 2,500 years old, is a result of hundreds of years of critique and gradual reshaping of those forms of government. Revolutions were fought in opposition to them. The French Revolution is an excellent example, though of course it didn't lead to democracy, nor did the Russian Revolution. Far from it, in fact. Democracy is still a relatively new thing in practice. We have it because groups of people decided that a system in which relatively few people hold the majority of power was not a beneficial means for governing the whole. We have it in order to serve the greatest number of people the best way possible. Protecting them, providing them with rights, helping them when they need help, and making sure that the largest amount of people have the greatest amount of access to the support structures that a rich country can provide, whether those programs concern education, health care, employment, social services, public safety, military support, maintenance, recreation, and more. These are things that, in a democracy, the largest group of people can benefit from because there is a collective, if not universal, wish to provide the most with the best. Isn't that what's at the core of democracy? 
aren't these the basic tenets upon which we depend, and upon which we base the special nature of our country? And that is indeed why we have government. Because when it's functioning properly, it provides those things, and it does so in a timely, efficient, benevolent manner. Again, I don't have a degree in political science, and anyone out there who does is surely laughing at my feeble attempt to provide a summative history of forms of government. Still, I participate in this democracy as best I'm able. I vote, I stay abreast of issues that are pertinent to me, and even to those that aren't. In fact, as an American citizen, I actually feel that almost all, if indeed not all, issues affect me, because they affect my neighbors, my fellow citizens, and everyone else who lives here, even if they're currently not citizens. I don't believe in us and them. It's all us. I also exercise my rights as they are delineated in the First Amendment. Free speech is my favorite. It's largely what allows me to present this admittedly long-winded invitation to you now. I'm sure you wouldn't want to erase the First Amendment, nor any amendment for that matter. I think you'd agree that on some level, the Constitution of the United States is a sacred document worth preserving and defending, even to the death. The key phrase in the First Amendment, of course, is, quote, Congress shall make no law, unquote. So if we take the Bill of Rights at its word, it's your job to protect this right and to ensure that your fellow representatives, regardless of their political platforms, do the same. That all sounds pretty straightforward, I imagine, but there's one thing that still sits at an odd angle. What is the purpose of protecting free speech? To offer critiques and challenges to policies, legislation, and even the attitudes of those that govern. I mean, that's what really sits at the heart of our unique version of democracy. We're allowed, if not encouraged, to speak out ultimately to try to reach our representatives with the express purpose of having them consider seriously our ideas. This is why it's your duty to talk to us. Back in January, you took an oath to support and defend the Constitution. That means the whole thing. It's a tacit understanding, I know, but I have no doubt that you see the inviolable logic here. I have tremendous respect for your station and for the fact that you have to juggle myriad and often conflicting opinions every day. Come talk to me about that process. I'm eager to learn how you strike that delicate balance. You can reach me via email at sam.schindler at gmail.com or via my website samschindler.com or through the What We Will Abide Facebook page. I'd be honored if you listened to previous episodes of What We Will Abide especially those that celebrate the unique qualities of our city, Lancaster, a place that somehow blends the rustic and traditional with the cosmopolitan and progressive. These are fascinating people doing diligent, vital work every single day. And finally, here's a great song by a great local band, Tom Tom. Mm-hmm.